going to continue. Our study is in the book of Exodus. We've been walking through the book of Exodus now. This is our 54th message in the book of Exodus. We're at Exodus 29. And uh, give us a little bit of a catch-up from last week. Last week our message was called Hallowed Unto God. Um, we studied the priests that would serve in the tabernacle, the process of sanctifying them to the service of the Lord that would be required. This process would certainly would be an external holiness in regards to the ceremonial aspects of physical cleaning, but there was also an important part, which is a spiritual cleansing as well. This morning we're going to continue with the process of hallowing as Aaron and his sons will pick up uh, with the instructions on additional offerings that will be made for these men to make that right relationship with God. We're trying to work on that holiness aspect. Uh, it will be through a process of self-examination and spiritual obedience that these men will have a chance to become becoming worthy to be servants of the Holy Father, the Holy God. So let's pray for this message, Hallowed Unto God, Part 2. The Lord will be in it and direct it. Right? Father, we thank you so much for today, and thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to be in your house. Uh, Lord, uh, how it was a place, uh, Lord, that many people have forgotten, sitting here rotting on the corner. Yet, God, you had a purpose and a plan for it. Thank you for doing your work here in lives and, Lord, in this community. Pray that you'll, Lord, bless this message. I know, God, that uh, you have spoken to me as I have prayed throughout the week. And, Lord, I now ask that you would speak through me, that the words that I would share not be the ones that I would choose or the ones that I would want, but, Lord, the very ones that you would give me. Father, I pray that you'll help me to vanish, to disappear, that this message would come from you and you alone. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Amen. Just a little bit of review. Okay, so we've been listening to the instructions of Moses, right? As God's been talking to Moses up on Mount Sinai. He's been giving him very specific instructions about the priests. And last week we talked about being hallowed, right? That word hallowed. We talked about what hallowed meant. We saw that it was meant, it means to be set apart or to be holy. Moses and his brothers would start with these ceremonies, or these series of ceremonies that would be out about cleansing them externally. But then we're getting looking at the the animals that will be specifically chosen. Uh, and what's interesting about the animals is they're going to be modeling the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to be modeling the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the sacrifice of him on our behalf. The Lord next instructs Moses about the unleavened bread, right? He talked about that unleavened bread, which would be a picture of sinlessness. Leaven is always sin in the Bible. Then we looked at then the bread symbolizing that sinlessness, but then also the instructions that went on about the appearances. They would wash their bodies head to toe. They would be anointed with oil. Then they would be dressed in their priestly garments. Now, as the Lord continues, he shifts from that external to more of the internal. And the external is up to us. That's the part that we can do, right? That's the part that's under our power. But then the internal is, is up to God. So the sacrifice of the bullock, which would be the first sacrifice we saw last week, which was a sin offering, was made again, repeatedly picturing that aspect of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross for the redemption of, human, of mankind. And we'll see that same pattern continue as we pick up here in verse number 15, that same pattern where God's going to reveal himself through the scriptures as we continue. So Exodus 29, verses 15 through 28. Exodus 15 says this, Thou shalt also take one ram, and Aaron and his sons, and put their hands upon the head of the ram. Now remember last week we saw that done, the exact same thing done for the sin offering. They would place their hands upon it, and what they would do is it was a symbolic gesture where they were actually choosing or receiving this animal's life in payment for their sin. So it was almost like a ceremonial transfer where the weight of their sin was being transferred to this animal, right? Accepting the life. It was intended to be a humbling experience. These men are supposed to be doing a self-examination, right? That's the thing with sin. Guess what? Sin should bring us to a point of self-examination. Mm -hmm. We should look at our lives internally and be being every day. Lord, how can I confess those things that are in me that I don't want? Those things that I know are unpleasing to you? Because every day, guess what? All of us struggle with the, uh, what's the word I would use? The pollution of the world. Yeah. Things mm -hmm. we hear, mm -hmm. things we see, right? Thoughts cross our mind. Yeah. 
And it's Billy Graham made a statement one time. He said, he said, thoughts are like birds. He said, you can't keep them from flying over your head, but you can keep them from nesting, right? Brush them away, man. Sometimes thoughts come and you just need to brush them away. Shake them off. Because understand, those thoughts sometimes drag us into sinful mindset. You see, only be only being atoned for once, uh, a sin can only be atoned once it's been recognized, then once it's been taken responsibility for, and then it's been repented of. So there's a series or a process of development. First, we have to recognize our sin. The question is, how do we recognize? What do, how do we know what we've done, whether or not it's sinful or not, right? Because some of us maybe weren't raised in church. I never went to church my entire life, ever. Not one church service my entire life until the time I was 34 years old. So how do we determine it? First John 3, 4 says this, Whosoever committed sin transgresseth, transgresseth, I've got a couple words that I'm going to have trouble with today. Y'all just bear with me. Transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Okay? So we hear that sin is the transgression of the law. But then somebody says, well, what What if I don't know the law? I wasn't raised in church. I've never heard the law before. I don't know anything about it. Romans 2, verse 14 and 15 says this, For when the Gentiles, this is those people that are not Jews, not they don't know the law, which have not the law, but do by nature the things contained in the law. They naturally do the things in the law. These, having not the law, are a law unto themselves. Look, they've never seen the law of Moses. They don't know anything about it. But guess what? For some reason, they're actually following the law. Then verse 15 says this, Which show the work of the law written in their hearts. They were born with the law. Their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the mean while accusing or else excusing one another. Recognize the fact, you know what? I know when I've done something wrong. I know when I've done something wrong, yeah. right? I don't have to be reminded. Nobody has to come up and go, oh, by the way, uh, you uh, taking the last biscuit when your mom said set it aside for your father, and you snacking it real quick and nobody turns their head. You knew that was wrong. You weren't like, hmm, I wonder. You know, hide the crumbs, right? We know when we do things wrong, even as children, right? My dog even knows when he does something wrong, for goodness sakes. I go outside, I'm digging in the yard, and I walk in, their ears are down, I'm like, what's going on? Go look, So, but what happens is in any culture around the world, guess what? There's a recognition of sin. People know that, you know what? It's wrong to think something that doesn't belong to them. You can go anywhere in the world, and people know that that's wrong. People also know that it's wrong to be dishonest. To lie. And they also know that taking the life of another person is wrong. Go to any culture in the world, whether they have the law or not, they will know those things are true. Because guess what God said is written on our heart. First John 1 John 1.8 says this, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. There are some people that will deny, you know, hey, you know what? I don't have sin in my life. I, I don't do anything. I'm not doing anything wrong. I don't think I need to worry about. Man, if you're telling me, he says, in that verse, says, you're deceiving yourself. We're deceiving ourselves. Bottom line is, we all do stuff wrong. Yeah. Amen. There's no one in here that's perfect. I hate to break it to you. <laughs> You're a great granny. You were like, she was a saint. Guess what? She, she still did stuff wrong. She's just like the rest of us, right? So we all recognize that we all have the same struggle. Now, why do we have the same struggle? After the fall of man, which we see back in Genesis 3, what we find is that, <coughs> that same weakness for sin is in all of us. Okay? James 1, verses 14 and 15 says this, But every man is tempted... When he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth 
death. Now, Pastor John's just not just talking about physical death. Doesn't mean when we sin, we drop dead. What it's talking about is it brings corruption into our lives. Sinful behavior always has a long-term effect. Sin is always a matter of progression. Okay, we may see here first it begins with temptation. But once our minds grab a hold of it, we get the temptation. My mind grabs a hold of it. Now I start to captures my thoughts, right? And then as it captures my thoughts, it starts to feed my fleshly lusts. And the next time it feeds my fleshly lusts, then my imagination jumps in. Well, gosh, once my imagination jumps in, guess what? I'm well on my way. And what we talked about before is no sin that you ever perform on this earth was not first performed in your mind. That's right. right? We imagine things before we ever go to the point of doing it. So this is the progression. We see that first there's a temptation, then we grab a hold of that thought, then we hold on to it, then we start imagining it, and the next thing you know, we're acting it out. Then we're working into that aspect of death. Because guess what? We're affecting not only our lives, but guess what? Our sin affects other people. Mm -hmm. You know, We want to sin, and we want it to know, affect nobody. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to do this thing wrong. you got to realize, we talked about before, it's like if you take a rock and throw it into a pond, the rock doesn't just vanish. Mm. The whole pond is affected. Mm-hmm. Who's ever done that? And watch the ripples. Yeah. Yes. Don't they go all the way to the shore? Yeah. <clears throat> so your life has a, a, a sphere of people that it impacts. And some are in your direct, direct, I mean, your close family. And you sin, and guess what, man? They're rocked by it, man. They are rocked. But then there's people that are peripherally out there. Little, and guess what? They're rocked by it, too. And there's people that are so far out that they're on the very shoreline. You don't even know who they are, but they know someone in your family who knows someone, and that story gets out, and guess what? They're affected. Because mm-hmm. they go, I thought they were a Christian. Mm-hmm. And you have no idea. I'm telling you, there are always consequences to sin. Yep. As if we discussed before, like I said, it's always going to be the fact. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, right? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That death, man. That right there is talking about a spiritual death. There's a point in time when you and I, we're going to physically die when we leave this earth. And there will be either spiritual life or there will spiritual death. Mm. One is in heaven with the presence of God and the other is in hell. And people don't like to preach about hell, but guess what? The hell shows up a lot more in the Bible than heaven does. And it is a reality. And the fact is the devil does nothing more than try to hide the truth of that fact. Mm. People don't want to face the fact that, you know, we all have an appointed time that we're going to die. Mm-hmm. You know, when we're 18 years old, we feel like we're going to live forever. But then you hit 50 and you start going, huh. So there's an end coming to this thing, I feel like. Uh, my elbow hurts for no reason. I feel like I was in a fight last night. All I did was sleep. Uh, you know, like, <laughs> start feeling the effects of age, man. You start, you start thinking about it. Or you go to a funeral. You know, and you're like, man, oh man, we start thinking about our mortality. Because guess what? It is coming to an end. And there will be spiritual life or there will be spiritual death. And it's because of this very death that Jesus came to the world, right? He came an innocent child. He died an innocent man for the sins of the world. Not responsible for what happened, but made a choice to step in for us. So now that we recognize sin, we must then accept responsibility for it. Proverbs 28, 13 says this. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. God has a mercy towards humanity. Mercy means to withhold punishment that is deserved. God has, we have every right to be punished because like I said, we've all sinned. We're all in the same boat. So God has every right to punish us, yet he gives mercy. 
and he extends grace, which is to love people that are unlovable. So you and I receive mercy and grace, and we see here that God wants to give us mercy. But guess what? We're all guilty. Listen to Paul's plea. Okay, listen to this. As Paul describes our struggle with the flesh in Romans chapter number 3, verses 10 through 23, Paul says this, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Look at that little qualifier there. No, not one. You thought about the best person you could possibly imagine, and guess what God's saying? You know what? Not even them. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. What he's talking about there is that we're all selfish by nature. We are not naturally seeking God. We're naturally looking to fulfill ourselves. They're all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. He's going, look, you know what? Though even the good things that we do, we do them for selfish reasons. Yeah. Yeah. When we do something kind for somebody, don't we want someone to see it? You're giving money to a poor person. You, you, we know. I mean, look Facebook now, man. Somebody does something good, you know about it. Oh yeah, ping. Here I am with the person I just gave money to. Ding. Right. <laughs> we want recognition because guess what? We have a selfish motive, unfortunately. Right. Godly love, charity means to give God's love personified through a human being, and it's an impossibility without God. Verse thirteen says this: Their throat is an open sepulcher. That means a tomb. He says their throat is an open sepulcher. Their throat is like a tomb. With their tongues, they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Man, their words are hurtful. How many of us have said hurtful things in our lives? Yes, amen. Amen. Who's lived with regret and had something come out of your mouth and immediately been like, oh, if I could just... But you can't. It's like poisoning a fountain, man. Once you poison it. You're not going to get it out. We've all done it. Look at this, verse 14. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Prior to salvation, man, my adjectives in my language were almost all four-letter words. I would speak to people, they'd be like, what? And I, you know, of course, I'm clueless because I just couldn't even hear it. And I spoke that way. And I remember being, I went to play paintball with one of my friends. And we're there, and it was kind of mixed company and stuff like that. And we're talking, and I'm excited about us playing paintball and stuff like that. And I'm just, and he's like, dude, dude, dude. And I'm like, what? He's like, stop with the, and I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you said the F-bomb like six times in like one sentence. I'm like, really? I didn't even hear it. But you know what? God, after we get saved, guess what? That stuff hurts us. Man, you hear somebody take the Lord's name in vain? Amen. It feels like somebody's stabbing you in the heart. Yeah. Right? There's a, there's. God's saying, look, this is what Paul's saying. Look, this is what you're coming from. Mm -hmm. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Mm -hmm. Always ready for revenge. You do something to me, buddy, I'm coming after you. I'm ready mm -hmm. to bring the fight. Verse 16, destruction and misery are in their ways, right? We're more, way more apt to tear people down than we are to build people up. Mm -hmm. This is what you and I fight against every day. This is our flesh. And the way of peace have they not known. Strife and unrest, guess what? They come naturally. How sad is that? Verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. We're so focused on ourselves that we don't even see God. We're eat up with self in our culture today. In verse 19, now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Because of our sinful nature, that's why God gave us the law to reveal our sin to us. It's to show us that we are sinful. He sets a standard, and we realize that we all fall so short of it. 
Verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Our problem is, right, we cannot keep the law. And that's what we see it. And he says, thou shalt not bear false witness. Don't lie. How many have a hard time with that every day? Right? Someone calls you. You don't want to talk to them. You tell them that. <laughs> you know, I just don't feel like talking to you right now. No. You know, uh, I got to... Uh, I mean, I'm just getting in the shower. We just come up with something, right? You know, I don't hurt their feelings, right? Maybe don't answer the phone. Anyway. Right? So it says, in verse number 21, it says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. God's solution, man, the Savior, the one that's been prophesied about, the one that the Old Testament's been talking about through the whole time, when we see him again and again pictured, the Lord Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, salvation through him. Guess what? He's saying, you know what? It's already here. It's already here. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. He says, look, you all, I don't care who you are, where you come from, what your background is, what your race is, what your sex is, irrelevant. You all have the exact same issue, which is sin. Yeah. And the cool thing is that this solution covers them all. Every single solitary person, no matter how wicked you may be, God has made a way. For you see, the reason we all need the same solution is because we all have the exact same problem. Verse 23 says this, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's our story. So now we've recognized our sin, right? We've understood we take responsibility for our sin. The next thing we have to do is we have to repent of our sin. Check this out. And Jesus starts his ministry. I want you to notice this in Matthew 4, 17. This is the very beginning. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, notice the very first word he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. The word repent means to turn away from evil and turn to good, right? Turning from sin unto righteousness. Listen to the use of repentance, and this, this is from the, the prophet Ezekiel way back, and this is eight, Ezekiel 18, verses 30 through 32, and it gives us a very clear definition of repentance. He says, Therefore I will judge you, this is God speaking, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, saith the Lord God, repent and turn yourself from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby ye have transgressed. And make you a new heart and a new spirit. For will ye die, O house of Israel? Will you keep doing what you're doing? Will you run to destruction? Verse 32. For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourself and live ye. God's desire is that we all get things right with him. God's desire is to fellowship with us. He created us for fellowship. He created us for this love relationship. He created us for intimacy. And what happens is we create this division between us and we create this, this relationship that's isolated or superficial because of the fact that you and I are constantly allowing things of this world to get in between us and that beautiful, intimate relationship that God has intended. He's reaching out to us every day. You can feel it when you're in sin. Who's ever known you're away from God and felt the pressure of the Lord? Man! It's like he's like begging you. You feel this love radiating towards you, and it just makes you feel like either one or two things. You'll do one or two things when people are under conviction. They will either get mad or they will break. Yeah. Right? And when they get mad, buddy, those are the folks you, man, I'm not talking about God. He wants to punch me in the face. 
Well, guess it's a really good indicator if they get mad. If they're like, whatever, I don't care. They're hard to get to. But those ones that are like, shut up, man. Shut, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to talk about your God. You know why? They're under conviction. That's right. God's working. Amen. Cool thing is, you just keep loving them. Guess what? What does God do? He gives us grace. Yep. Right? He gives us grace. That's the thing. You reach people through grace. You reach people through love. I'm not going to judge them. Oh, yeah, you want to talk about God? Lean your face. You're going to go to hell. That's what people do sometimes. That's not the solution. Yeah. <laughs> the solution is, you know what? You may have to take a couple shots, man. Hey, take the shots. Absorb them. And say, you know what? They don't understand. What did Jesus say? Forgive them for they know not what they do. This lost person reacts the way they react. They don't know any different. They're lost. They don't even know what they're feeling. They don't understand. But the thing is, God can break through. This is an Old Testament example, obviously, to the Jews, but this is actually showing us a good definition of repentance, right? So it's one thing to feel sorry and feel bad about the consequences of our sin and alter our behavior temporarily, okay? Now, it's another thing altogether to decide to make a commitment in our heart because the fact that we realize that what we've done hurts God, right? Who's ever done something wrong and felt bad about it and been like, oh, man. But in your heart of hearts, you know you're going to do it again. Oh. Come on, y'all lying to me. <laughs> right? Right? Yeah, we're all like going along white line and going, man, I shouldn't do that. Uh, I'm going to do it again. I know I'm going to do it again. If he calls me again, I'm going to be busy again. Right? We know this is us, man. Right? Now, either because we don't think it's bad or because we just really want to do it. Right? Sometimes our flesh just wants what it wants. So that feeling that comes along with the negative consequences, that behavior, guess what it's defined as? Guilt. Guilt. That's what you'll feel in your flesh. You'll feel guilt. Guilt is tied to our flesh and our emotions. It's unstable and it's, and it's wavering. It comes and it goes, right? You tell that little white lie, man. You may feel bad at the moment, but guess what? A couple days later, you can do it again and not have any issue with it whatsoever. It just flows out of our mouth. But there is a remorse that comes. And this is a feeling when what we have done hurts God. There's a godly sorrow that God gives us. 2 Corinthians 7, verses 9 and 10. Understand the preface for this. This is Paul reaching out to a church that's off track. They were at one time following God. At one time they were doing the right thing, but they have gotten off track. And Paul's reaching out to that church. He says, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, guilty, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. This is the difference. For you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. He says, look, that you might find forgiveness. Verse 10, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. He's saying, look, the sorrow of the world, that's guilt. But the sorrow of God, man. That worketh repentance. We make things right with God. Godly sorrow is tied to our soul and our spirit. It is consistent. It is unwavering. Guess what? It stays with us. It weighs upon our hearts. That's what we call the chastening of God. When you're running from God and you feel the weight of God pressuring you, that's what that is, godly sorrow. Guilt leads to behaviors that are changed. Godly sorrow leads to lives that are changed. Amen. Without true repentance, we cannot accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. There's people who go, they want to say a prayer, but they're not repentant. Guess what? If you're not repentant of your sin, you're not receiving Christ. You're praying a prayer that is nothing more than just going to be words. Mm -hmm. God's listening to our heart, and one of the most important things is repentance. And this ram that we're going to see in that first one we talked about is bearing the sins of Aaron and his sons, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if you ever want to see a really incredible picture 
of this same aspect of a sacrificial substitute. <coughs> Go to Genesis chapter number 22, verses 2 through 14. I'm not going to do it tonight, but if you want to make a note of that, Go read Genesis 22, verses 2 through 14. You're going to see the most amazing picture of a sacrificial ram substitute. It's a really beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and what God did. All right, so back to our study, verse number. Now we're on to verse 16, our second verse. Right on, right? We're doing good. All right, I promise the rest is going a lot faster. <laughs> All right, verse 16. And thou shalt slay the ram, and thou shalt take his blood and sprinkle it round about upon the altar. All right? From our study, we know that without the remission, that there is no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. The blood is the life, right? So as this blood, this sin, will touch this altar, and we know the altar from our study, the altar which is made of brass, it represents judgment. So when the sin touches judgment, guess what we see? Atonement. Atonement for sin. Verse number 17. Now shalt cut the ram in pieces and wash the inwards of him and his legs and put them unto his pieces and unto his head. And thou shalt burn the whole ram upon the altar. It is a burnt offering unto the Lord. It is a sweet savor, an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Now the burnt offering, which you'll find in the Bible, it shows up over 260-some times. It's the most common form of offering that's ever made in the Bible. We find it goes all the way back. The very first time we find it is with, the, with Noah in Genesis chapter number 8 after the flood. He makes an altar and, 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 and uh, sacrifice a burnt offering. So the significance of the burnt offering is the fact that it completely consumes what is given. There is nothing left over. It's completely burned up. Unlike other offerings, where there would be parts that may be left over or then potentially eaten by the, by the participants, this one leaves nothing behind. In 1 Kings 18, verses 21 through 29, we see a picture there of Elijah. Remember the story of Elijah. Elijah faced off against the prophets of Baal. And they're all, he, there's, like there's hundreds of them. And there's just Elijah. And what they do is they both make an altar, right? And they put the, the animal there. Elijah goes so far as to go, you know what? Not only are we going to put this here, he says, but I'm going to, we're going to dig a trench all the way around it. We're going to pour water. Water. Soak the whole thing down. Soak the offering. Soak the altar. Soak everything down with water. And he prays to God. And boy, fire comes down. Boom. A burnt offering. And guess what it does? It eats up. Not only does it take up the, the, the sacrifice, it burns up the altar. Everything is gone. Every drop of water is gone. And what it shows is this beautiful image of God saying, look at what? I completely accept your offering. A complete acceptance is seen in this fire. So through the burnt offering and the sin offering, the atonement for sin will be accomplished for Aaron and, sin, for Aaron and his sons. But now there's going to be another offering. Okay, Verse number 19. And thou shalt take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands upon the head of the ram. The same ceremonial transfer. What this is picturing is actually showing is that consecration is an ongoing process. It's something that doesn't happen. You don't just... Get right with God one day, and then you're good to go for the rest of your life. Because right. guess what? Our sin problem is a daily issue. Mm. So our consecration issue is a daily issue. We're all struggling with it day by day. Verse 20 says this, And thou shalt kill the ram, and take of his blood, and put it upon the tip of the right ear of Aaron, and upon the tip of the right ear of his sons, and upon the thumb of their right hand, and upon the great toe of their right foot, and sprinkle the blood upon the altar round about. Okay? So the life of the animal is symbolized in his blood. Okay? So what we're seeing here is when they take this and they actually symbolically transfer this, what they're doing is identifying with the lifeblood of this animal and placing it upon their right ear and upon their right thumb and upon their right toe. What it's simply saying is, you know what? They're going to have ears to hear. They're going to have hands to serve. They're going to have feet to work, right? And we'll also, the reason why it's the right side, because the right side is what, means, is what represents power, right? You always see the right hand of God is the power of God. 
So what he's saying is, look, they're going to they're going to give their very best to God, their most powerful side, their strength. They're going to give all that they have, their very best, to the service of the Lord. And that's what this is symbolized through this blood. And when we consider that, and we know from 1 Peter that you and I were supposed to be priests. God sees us as priests. And we think about this. Are we giving God our very best when we do what we do for him? That should be the case, man. We should identify with the lifeblood of Jesus Christ and identifying with his blood what we do, the work, our ears, our heart, our efforts, everything we do should be giving him our very, very best. Mm -hmm. If there's any part of our life where we should give our very best, it should be to him. Amen. But some of us give our very best to our work. Mm-hmm. We give our best to our family. And God gets the second best. Mm-hmm. Or God gets the third. Mm-hmm. And that's just not fair when we consider what he's done for us. Romans 12.1. Remember Paul's plea to us last week. Paul's plea. Listen to this. I beseech you. This means he's saying, I beg you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God, the fact that God's given us what he has, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He says it's the least we can do, right? It's the least we can do. But what say we didn't God give God our reasonable service? What if we gave him our very best Amen. service? He says, at least the reasonable. But man, doesn't he deserve our best? When we consider what God has done in our life, there are times when you and I may have been in crisis in our life and we felt like there was no way out. And we were overwhelmed by our situation and our world and we were so closed with darkness. And yet the light of the love of God came into that darkness and drew us out of that thing. And in that moment, man, we are so thankful. God, I'm so glad you were there for me. God, thank you so much. You saved me out of this darkness. God, thank you. But six months later, God calls us and we're like, yeah, 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 if it fits. If I can make the time for it, yeah, I'll see what I can do. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? We are so spoiled. Spoiled and ungrateful. And Paul's saying, man, just give it to him. If there's one place in your life you should excel, it should be in your walk with God. That should be me too, man. All right, one place, one place where you're really going to kill it, man. Make it for him. He should get all of us. Not what's left over. Amen. Then Paul goes a step further in Romans 12 too. He says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says, don't be conformed. Don't be like the world. You be transformed, right? right. Transformed for the renewing of your mind through the word of God, right? And he says, you, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That your life would not talk of your will, but the will of God expressed in you. That's the desire, man. He's talking about being sanctified. He's talking about being set apart, consecrated, being hallowed, being not like this world. But a lot of us spend our time looking at things on Instagram or whatever else, trying to find ways that we can fashion ourselves to look like the world. Our attitudes, the things we say, it's, just, it's amazing. And it's so seductive. It's so seductive. Because we're not intentionally trying to become like the world. But because we allow it to be such and so important in our life, it starts to shape us. So if we talk about the potter and the clay, right? Well, in this world, unfortunately, there's two potters in our world today. There's the world, and man, it wants to fashion you into what it wants to fashion you into. It's got a plan and a purpose. But God has a plan and a purpose, too. And God wants to fashion us into a vessel fit for the master's use. And the world says, let me use you. 
And guess what that will do? The world will absolutely use you. There are people in this room that have been influenced by the world. You've allowed yourself to be consumed by the world. And when it was done with you, you felt absolutely empty. Because it used you up. But the most exact opposite is true. God says, if you let me use you, I will fill you up. Praise the Lord. Amen. 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 Yes. Amen. Thank you, Lord God. He's done that for me. Yes. He's filled me up, man. Amen. We shouldn't look like, sound like, or act like the world. Verse 21. Thou shalt take of the blood that is upon the altar and the anointing oil and sprinkle it upon Aaron. Notice this point. The oil and the blood are mixed together. And then upon his garment and upon his sons and upon the garments of his sons with him. And he shall be hallowed in his garments and his sons and sons' garments with him. Mm. See, anointing oil representing the Spirit of God has been combined, right, with the sacrificial blood of the Savior. The two combined is where hallowing comes in. Yes. Because yes, you get saved through the blood of Christ. Absolutely. Amen. But guess what? You get anointed by the Spirit of God for God to work through you. Mm. And that process of hallowing you is where God is drawing you through his Spirit to help us to be more refined. Yes. And it's the two together that bring the hallowing. Verse 22, and also thou shalt take of the ram the fat and the rump and the fat that covereth the inwards and the call above the liver and the two kidneys and the fat that is upon them and the right shoulder for it is a ram of consecration. These would be the most choice parts, the most valuable parts of the animal. Mm -hmm. Verse 23, and one loaf of bread and one cake of oil and one wafer of the, of the basket of the unleavened bread that is before the Lord. Remember this representing sinlessness. Verse 24, and thou shalt put all in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons and shalt wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. So now Aaron and his sons have really been kind of, they've been objects of this sanctification and this sacrifice, of this process right now. They've been washed. They've all these things kind of done to them. All they've done is put their hands upon the animals. But again, they've been not really participants. But now guess what? They're becoming participants in their own sanctification. Now what's happened is these things are being placed in their hands. And they're going to make what's called wave offering. What this means is they're going to give it to God. Right? Yeah. Almost like you and I, if we were going to relate it to something, we could relate it to us maybe standing in service, man. When you just feel like God's calling, just breaking your heart, and you just make you raise your hands, man. And you're offering your heart to God. That's what this is. It's a wave offering. There's a wave offering. There's also something called a heave offering, which is doing this, like this, when we're offering them to God. Verse 25. And thou shalt, shalt, shalt receive them of their hands, this is talking to Moses, and burn them upon the altar of a burnt offering for a sweet savor before the Lord. It is an offering made by fire unto the Lord. So they're going to take it after they've made this offering. They've presented it to God. They transfer it to Moses. Moses is going to take it. He's going to burn it. Mm -hmm. After these choice parts of the sacrifice are there, they will again. They'll be consumed. They're going to be consumed this part by fire. And thou shalt take the breast of the ram of Aaron's consecration and wave it for a wave offering before the Lord. It shall be thy part. What's happening here is this other portion is going to actually be raised and it's going to be wo waved. Woven. That's not right. Wave back and forth. <laughs> Wave to God, presented to God, and then it's going to be given to Aaron, okay? This is his portion. It's given him for food. And verse number 27, And thou shalt sanctify the breast of the wave offering and the shoulder of the heave offering, which is waved and which is heaved up of the ram of the consecration, even of that which is for Aaron and for that which is for his son, that which is for his sons. So both offerings are printed and presented to God. In different ways, either being raised up or this way. And then one is consumed by fire, consumed by God, and the other is going to be consumed by the priests as they're going to eat it. Verse 28. And it shall be Aaron and his sons by a statute 
When you see this word statute, what it's talking about is almost like a contractual provision. Okay, forever it says it says by a statute forever from the children of Israel. Okay, from the children of Israel. For it is an heave offering, and it shall be an heave offering from the children of Israel of the sacrifice of their peace offerings and their heave offering unto the Lord. So what it's saying is basically out of every time they make a sacrifice, there's going to be a portion that's going to be set aside for the priests, right? This is a provision that God's made for them, right? And why? Is it because the priests are a bunch of freeloaders and they're lazy, not willing to work? Guess what? No, because guess what? They have given their lives yeah. to the service of the Lord. They've given their time, their dedication. They're saying, look, my life, my purpose, instead of being a farmer or being a herdsman, now my service is to God. And God understands that. He says, look, in order for them to be all in, that means that the church, the, the body, needs to provide for them so that they can serve me. And what's interesting about the priests eating these holy offerings is that it will picture the internal consecration of believers, right? In Jeremiah 15, 16, he talks about it. We don't have the verse up there, but in Jeremiah 15, 16, he talks about receiving the word. He talks about eating it, eating it, receiving it inside of us. If you go to Psalm 119, I'm gonna, let me just jump to Psalm 119. I'll read it to you real quick. Psalm 119, 103. Uh, listen to this. How sweet are thy words unto my taste. That means, oh, the taste. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore, hate every false way. Verse, verse 1 of 5 says this. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. I have sworn and I will perform it that I will keep thy statutes, thy righteous judgments. Look, saying, hey, you know what? The Word of God is purifying me. It's sweet. It's beautiful. It's something that when I consume it, man, it changes me. It begins to direct my path of my life. Amen. And that's what's beautiful about this aspect of the eating. See, the priests are given this, given their lives. They're doing this for the purpose that God's going to use them. Eating is a good picture of this healthy, growing relationship with the Lord. Check this out. Eating is inward. No, eating is personal. Eating is personal. No one can eat for us, right? Right. You can't go eat a good meal for me. I have to go eat for myself. Well, guess what? It's the exact same thing when it comes to a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't care if you were raised in a Christian home and your mom and dad were saints. You're not saved because of their salvation. It's not the way it works. It's individual. It's personal. We have to take account ourselves. Eating is personal. Second, eating is inward. It doesn't do anything good to be around food and not consume it. Who's ever been someplace when you're on a diet, man, you smell that food? Oh, certain things you're cutting out. My wife, we're cake. We're, we're, she's obsessed with cake. We can't. Yeah, it's, just, it's just a problem. We can't. We've got to deal with that for her. But, <laughs> but cake, man. Smell the cake, man. She's like, oh, you smell that. Oh, you. Oh. I mean, it's intoxicating, man. The thing is, but it's not going to do you any good. Let's see if it's good food you shouldn't eat. But if you can be around it, man, even rub it on your face. It ain't going to hook you up. And you're not going to get anything. It's got to be internal. It's got to be inward, right? Being a faithful member of a church and following religious rules, but never receiving Christ. You're still on your way to hell, man. Fooling yourself. Eating is active. If we don't go where the food is and take the time to eat it, it's not going to find its way inside of us. I've got to be actively pursuing it, right? We must actively feed ourselves spiritually. It takes work. You've got to be willing to put the time and energy in. We must be active. Having basic knowledge of the Bible and coming to church will never allow you to grow like studying mm -hmm. the Word of God and allowing the Holy Spirit to guide you. That is, I'm telling you, you want to grow in the Lord, you want to grow in the Lord, you want to grow in your understanding of the Word, 
You're sitting there by yourself. No one's there. You're reading, and the Holy Spirit gives you an utterance or an understanding of something, and all of a sudden, something jumps off the page. You're like, man, i got to talk to somebody. Holy cow. Well, i got to call somebody. This is awesome, man. Oh, we feel like we just discovered a new planet. We're like, man, it's been there the whole time. We just can't see it, right? And that's one of the things we also have to be careful. That it doesn't puff us up, right? The Bible says it warns us. It says knowledge puffeth up. We can start becoming this Bible scholar and spend a lot of time and energy in the Bible. And the next thing you know, we start thinking we're superior to other Christians because right. we know more than they do. Mm -hmm. That is a dangerous place to be. Yeah. This very thing can be used to hurt people. We've been in churches where, guess what? The holier than holy sat upon a pedestal and looked down like this. Mm -hmm. Sinner, sinner, sinner. Next thing you know, they go on from being your loving brother to being your judge. Right. That is not our place to be. God is our judge, and God is our judge alone. Amen. Our job is to reach out to people. If you know something, man, share it. Amen. Love them. Teach them. Let God use your knowledge to change someone else's life. Eating is a result of hunger. Hunger. Why do we eat? Because we're hungry. You should be spiritually hungry, because guess what? You're a spiritual being. Yeah. And if you're not hungry, maybe you're not a spiritual being. Because I'm telling you, as a born-again child of God, there is a need for you to be spiritually fed. Yes. You need it. Yes. And you feel it when you're not. Yeah. You know when you're away from God, and there's a sense almost you feel like you're wasting away. And God says, hey, I've got something for you, man. And you can go back to the Word in just one day and all of a sudden feel completely restored. It's amazing. But the reason why people eat is because they're hungry. It is not unless we eat that we will be fed. We've got to take the time to eat. And then eating brings satisfaction. Boy, oh boy, when you satisfy your hunger, woo, who's ever had one of those meals where you're just like, oh, man. Yeah. We're going to change pants or I'm going to put on some sweatpants or something, man. We're just not going to work out. <laughs> you know, we're going to lay back, right? Oh, man. Reese Cups. Yeah, Reese Cups. You're satisfied, dude. You're satisfied. You are just completely full. And you don't need anything else. And somebody says, you want one more little piece of pie? No. I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm great. Guess what? With the Word of God, when you're right with God, and man, you're pouring your life into Him, He can fulfill you. Yeah. Oh, and all those things we think we need, mm -hmm. so we don't need them anymore. That's right. And those voids that used to be there, guess what? They're filled. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, there's a sense of satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And a sense of peace that overwhelms us. There's satisfaction that's available. And that's the beautiful thing, man. God has all of this for us. And this picture we see through the eating of this, this sacrifice, guess what He's saying? Man, consume me. Consume me. Make me a part of who you are. Mm. If I cut you open, I wouldn't see you. I'd see Jesus all inside of there. Mm. You know? The problem is most of us, if you think about furniture, I guarantee you we bought this at Big Lots and it is not real wood. I'm just mm. telling you that right now. This is not real wood. And it weighs a ton, right? This right here is made out of particle board. Guaranteed it weighs a ton. But it looks like real wood, doesn't it? Yeah. If I look at the surface of this, that's wood. You cut it in half, it's garbage. It's little bits of wood. It's particle board, right? It's a bunch of stuff that nobody wants. It's the junk that they're going to throw away, ground up into pieces, and they hide it underneath a veneer. And that's what most Christians are. They're veneered fake furniture because if you cut them open, there's nothing inside but a bunch of junk. Because you know what? They're portraying themselves to be what they are. They're not filled with God. They don't fill with the Spirit. They're not seeking God. They're seeking the world. This right here, I built it, man. I'm telling you, this is solid wood. This is real wood. We cut this open. Guess what? There's the grain of the wood inside of it. It's real. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. Mm -hmm. What are we, man? Are we solid hardwood? Are we that garbage, man? Are we particle board? Mm -hmm. You and I have to search our hearts. Yes. Mm -hmm. You want to be hallowed unto God, man? Bring that garbage 
out. Reveal it, man. First of all, recognize it. Then take ownership of it, man. And then you know what? Repent of it. Because God can erase it out of your life. Philippians 4, 7 says this, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding, passeth all understanding, meaning no one in this world, no one can understand it in the world sense. Only a Christian who's walking with God can understand this peace. The peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Hearts and minds. That's what gets corrupted. But if we'll sell ourselves out to the Lord, guess what? We can have it. If you've never experienced true peace, guess what? If you're always searching for the same next thing to satisfy you, if you're always considering and looking in your life and saying, you know what? There's something, there's something missing. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you this, man. It's time that you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, because guess what? He is the source of peace. Yes. <coughs> He's the source yes. of peace. He's the source of satisfaction. He is the source of the knowledge of God where you're not missing anything. He's a source of fulfillment. God wants us to experience that. The only thing, man, is most folks are trying to fill it with the wrong stuff. And unfortunately, they just become a denser version of this. And if you look at them on the surface, man, they look like a Christian. They talk like a Christian. Everything looks right. But if you can look inside, sorely disappointed. And you know what? That's what God sees. He looks right through the veneer. Amen. He sees it. We're not fooling anybody. This has nothing to do with a religious experience and everything to do with a personal relationship with our Creator. Guess what? He knows you. He knows you. He knows you. Guess what? He loves you anyway. We may look at ourselves and say, man, I'm not lovable. I don't deserve the love of God. I don't deserve forgiveness. And God says, you're right. But I love you anyway. Amen. Praise the Lord. None of us would be here if it was the case. Yes. Amen. If it came down to whether or not what we deserve, this earth would be scorched yes. blank. Because there is none righteous. No, 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 no. That's right. It's not Amen. until we come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and are able to understand his forgiveness, his provision, and his love and see what they feel like that we can ever come to a point that can be hallowed unto God. Amen. Man, that's what he wants for us. And the sweet thing about being hallowed unto God is all of a sudden there's a fellowship there that you may have never experienced in your entire life. Not because it wasn't available. Just because you never received it. I'm telling you right now, if you're here today and you're lost, you don't know the Lord, man, you can know him. He's ready to make that relationship real. Amen. And if you're here and you are saved, man, and you got that garbage in your life and that's you, and you're faking it, Man, get right with God. Get right with God because He's ready to receive you. He's ready to forgive you. He's ready to restore you. And He's ready to use you. Buddy, when He uses you, those voids you have in your heart, you go, why am I here? What's my purpose? All that garbage. They just go, and you go, wow, this is why I'm here. And all of a sudden, the biggest question of all of humanity is answered in a moment. It's personal. It's individual. It's up to us. Pray. Lord, we thank you so much for today. Thank you, Lord. Uh, <clears throat> thank you for speaking through my heart, Lord. Thank you know, I pray and ask you to do that. I'm just thankful. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Brother Hedges.
heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what? Man, I don't know Jesus. I know of him. I know about him. I can tell you all kinds of stuff. But when it comes down to it, I know I'm lost. If I search my heart right now, I'm playing a game. But God loves you right in the midst. He loved me 18 years ago and saved me. And he's willing to do the same thing for you today. Whether you're online or you're watching this recorded, wherever you are, overflow, it does not matter. It does not take a preacher. This is between you and God. And as he calls out to you, all you need to do is respond. And let me tell you this. He says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise from God. He's looking at us. He sees who we are. He gives us grace. He gives us mercy. And with love, he reaches out saying, you know what? I've already paid the price. I've paid the price for your sins. I've made a way for you to heaven. I've built a bridge directly across hell for you to come. I want you to be my child. All you have to do is receive it. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, a gift. And I'm telling you right now, that gift is being offered to you. If you're here today and you've never received Christ, that gift is being offered to you. And all you have to do is choose to receive it. I'm going to give you in a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to pray. And it is not the prayer that will save you. It is the intention of your heart. If you know in your heart of hearts, you go, there's never been a time when I truly gave my life to Christ. I may have been in church my entire life. But there's never been a time when I let my will break and I said, God, I'm yours. And if that's today, you're going to have a chance to pray. Not out loud. We're going to pray in our hearts and our minds because this is not a prayer to us. This is a prayer to God. This is between you and him. In our hearts and minds, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, repeat after me. Remember, it's not the words. God's listening to your heart. Repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I am so sorry for all that I've done wrong. Thank you for loving me and being merciful. God, I believe in you. I trust that you are who you say that you are, that you died on the cross, that you were buried, and you rose on the third day. I'm asking you right now, in the best way I know how, to come into my heart, forgive me of my sins, and save my soul. Lord, thank you for saving me. I will see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.